When I was a kid, I used to play a game called Where's Wally? Now, you may know this as Where's Waldo? Well, the modern-day version in the SaaS space, in the business space, and in the marketing space is Where's Paul Jarvis? Welcome to the Above Board Podcast. I am Jack Ellis. With me is the person you've been trying to find but cannot find because he has quit the internet, Paul Jarvis. I like how people now at uh, the Fathom account <laughs> to get in touch with me. Oh yeah, that's the new thing. We have to deal with all of all of your bullshit that you previously handled solo <laughs> now comes to the Fathom account. Uh, I Outrageous. also feel bad because there are a few other Paul Jarvises on Twitter that aren't me that they're probably now having to pick up the slack as well. Oh, that's the real win of all this. I didn't know that. <laughs> there, there is one go. Paul Jarvis who is the nicest guy in the entire world. His Twitter is basically, you've reached the wrong Paul Jarvis, message me the this Paul Jarvis instead. <laughs> so I, I feel really bad for him. Oh my goodness. Well, fair enough. So you quit the internet and it was really, it was one of those things where someone says on Facebook or Twitter, they say, I'm leaving. I'm not coming back. Don't contact me. It was pretty dramatic. Exactly. I stormed. <laughs> I stormed off in a in a half. I. <laughs> yeah. Basically, I what killed happened? off my newsletter. Um, for those who don't know, uh, it was a long run. It was, I think, eight years and about four hundred thousand words of writing, and that came to an end. Oh, when did that come to an end? I guess before American Thanksgiving. So I think the second or third week of November. Were you not thankful for your list? Yeah, apparently not. Um, yeah, I just, I think things have have a time, right? And I think um, I didn't need to keep it going. I also felt like there was nothing where I was like, oh, this is something I need to share with my list. Like th that didn't happen anymore. That happened for so long and it didn't happen anymore. And I'm also curious um, about being on the like obviously i'm not quitting the internet completely we have a company to run mm. <laughs> everything for fathom is now on your plate you're welcome <laughs> um i just think that uh maybe it's okay to not have a personal brand um i can just be a, a regular internet citizen um without a brand without um without anything else because we have fathom to work on dude like there's a lot to do so I would rather work on Fathom where obviously Fathom, and we'll talk about this um, later on in the episode about, about tone and personality and all of that, but Fathom is obviously you and I, but it isn't Paul and Jack's Fathom, it's Fathom Analytics, and then the two people who own the company, you and I, are just part of it. So it isn't like my brand holds up Fathom or your brand holds up Fathom, it's just Fathom is there and exists. And we're just part of it, which I think I will like a lot better um, 
than me having a personal brand and being a, a quote unquote thought leader. I would never call myself that, but other people have. So I put it in air quotes for the What podcast. is that? I'd never call myself <laughs> that, but other people have. That's the biggest flex. You, <laughs> <laughs> Well, people have. And I think it, like, it feels <laughs> gross to come out of my mouth to say yeah. thought leader. Like it just bleh. I'm a thought but, leader, yeah. Ugh. But other people have said that. And other, I guess people have read my writing and taken it taken some advice that I've given in books or articles and that what whatever I, whatever however you define a thought leader I don't even give a shit I, I don't you know I, I would never say this about myself I never call myself a genius but other yes. people have you know made comments about me. <laughs> oh. so a lot of people listening to this will think you cheeky fucker because you had a huge list you had lots of attention on your writing it brought it brought so many different relationships you know you had, there were 30 odd thousand people on your list it was insane to build that that list alone that many people that's worth i mean i don't know i don't know if it's millions but it's definitely over a million into i mean it's worth a lot of money as well well i mean i've i've made millions from it so and that's true so what you yeah. just reached the end of your i guess tether you're just done with it yeah i mean i don't want to have to um i guess it's it's just that I don't want to keep writing in that way. And it's funny too, right? Like I killed the newsletter off and I think I've written three or four articles for Fathom. So it's not like I'm stopping writing. It's just that avenue. Um, it's like every TV show has a, has a beginning season and an end season, except uh, I guess like the Simpsons where they are on like season 40 or something. But most things come to an end, right? So that's just, this can come to an end as well. Well, there's a lot of things that people don't realize that goes, beyond, uh, goes on behind the scenes with with success of that scale so people think that it's all just wonderful when everything's perfect they don't know the other side of things and my favorite one was i mean it, it, we can cut this if we can't talk about it but when you were speaking in support of uh, black lives matter or anti-racism something like that mm -hmm. someone someone called you like someone called you all sorts of names and then you know it just turned into this this big thing that someone's mad at you just because you were supporting something and he found every single YouTube video that I've ever been on and commented on it. It must have taken him hours, days to, to do that. Ah, what a lonely nerd. So, <laughs> don't. Well, so everything you say, you're going to... Because when you get to a certain size, things that you say, whatever stance you took on something, you're going to divide the audience and you're going to have to deal with the positives and the negatives. And the reason I empathize with this more is because my audience is slowly growing and I'm noticing this. I'm getting people that are quite angry at some of the things that I'm saying, as well as positive. And obviously, with both of us, it's a predominantly positive reaction. But you still will attract more more haters. And and that sounds, you know, haters going to hate, but it's real. That's a real yeah. thing. And people and will just even, hate on you. And even just the, the mental bandwidth of having to defend opinions and decisions to strangers. It's exhausting. It is, even if you don't, and, and so this is the thing as well that I think I want to point out, that even if you don't reply to these people, it still wears on you, it still mentally taxes you, and people can say, oh, well, don't, don't let them bother you, but it's like, unless you're a sociopath without feelings, <laughs> if somebody's mean to you, it's going to bother you, that's like, that's just how it works to be a human being, so it's all well and good to be like, oh, don't let that bother you, or like, have a, a thicker skin, but it's like, those things can bother you. Like I've had stalkers and bullies and death threats and assholes since the 90s when I started. And this is the other thing too, right? Like I've been writing or putting myself out there in some 
way, shape, or form since the, the mid-90s, right? And so that's a long time, right? Like, I feel like I can retire from that aspect of my life and still f- focus on things I need to do to make money, um, like <laughs> Fathom or, the, or some of the other things that I do. Okay, let's talk about that. I mean, have you ever talked publicly about your stalkers? Because people might think you're joking when you say you have stalkers. Yeah, no, I haven't. And I don't want to get into too much detail because there are records that I've been keeping for the authorities for some of them. But I mean, so I guess, yeah, it's just, it feels like even though I don't feel personally threatened and maybe it's because I'm, I'm male and not female. I don't know because I only have the experience of being a dude, but I just feel like it's an invasion of privacy more than anything else. Like I don't, I don't feel like they're going to come to my house and do anything bad to me, but I still feel gross that they have spent so much time thinking about me or, or writing to me or talking about me or mm-hmm. like looking up my wife. It's just, it's just fucking gross. <laughs> women get it. I swear women get it worse. I mean, I've seen oh, so many sure. examples of they getting like rape threats and things. Yeah. And that like I can't I that's a that's a level that as a dude I'll I won't understand. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. So it it hasn't come to that for me, but it's still the just the 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 grossness of feeling like there's an invasion of privacy of them saying like, Oh well, I, I know what city you live in and I know Kind of like I'm coming to the island to find you and that kind of stuff. It's just kind of like, <laughs> one, it's like good fucking luck because my P.O. box that's on my newsletter isn't even where I live. But like still, it's gross. Like it's just people thinking about that is just... I mean, someone's saying they're going to come to the island and find you, depending on the level of stalker, right? If they want to kill yeah. you, uh, a different story. Yeah, but, which um, I have had death threats before. Of course you have. So yeah. this is this is what I think a lot of people don't realize is there are there's a flip side to this coin. It isn't just hey look at me and my huge mailing list and you know I can do this and everyone can hear my opinion in this many seconds and it's great for this this and this. There are pros and cons with error, especially when you do it at the scale that Paul's doing it at because this isn't just a casual. I started a newsletter and in a few weeks I was at thirty thousand. Tim Ferriss has spoken about this before. I mean Tim Ferriss is a little bit t- tiny bit more known than Tiny you, bit. probably by like Tiny a smidge. Yeah. And he's talking about, so here's something, people, Tim Ferriss, right, he'd go to a country and people would try and intercept the taxi that's picking him up at the airport to try and kidnap yeah. him. Okay, that level of stuff, I mean, that's well, where you don't want fame, right? No, and the, the biggest thing that I remember from him talking about this is that somebody sent him a video saying that they were going to kill themselves and then they did, and yep. they they sent a video to Tim first. And I'm like, I don't, I, yeah, I wouldn't be able to, I wouldn't be, I don't have the mental capacity to be able to deal with that and come out unscathed. Like that would be, yeah, yeah. that would be really bad. <laughs> that would, yeah. So, I mean, it's funny because if you'd have kept on going, you may have got closer to that point where you would have got more things like that. Like I say, 30,000 is no walk in the park. I often think of someone like James Clear. James Clear has obviously been writing for a long time. Uh, similar similar to you in ways, I think he's really been doubling down on... He's doing the opposite of you, actually. He's doubling down on what he's, what he's working on. I reckon that he must encounter things like this as well. Probably, but I think with, with people like James and, and Tim, I think they're smart where they've kind of removed themselves from feedback which I think is really smart and something that I never was able to do. So I think if you reply to Tim's newsletter, Tim doesn't see it. If you reply to James's newsletter, James doesn't see it. They have people working for them who do that. 
And even there's probably an inbox where they don't even look, right? Like the replies probably just go somewhere that nobody sees um, for the most part. Why didn't so you I think do that's that? Um, well, one, I don't have any employees to do that. True. I could have hired somebody, but like the newsletter already cost me a lot of money. And at the end, it wasn't making me any money. So it's like, how much do I want to spend on this? I'm already spending thousands. I don't want to have to hire somebody to deal with it. Just doesn't make it just doesn't make sense. It doesn't really play into, and that's the thing, right? Like in the beginning, I think the reason why it worked really well is because anybody could hit reply and it would go to my inbox and I would reply to them. Yeah, and that's kind of what built the rapport and built the communication, built the audience, and built the the community around it. But at a certain point, it's like, well, I don't want (laughs) like this becomes one unmanageable, and two, you get the the lonely nerds and and asshats filtered through. I'm just foreshadowing a lot here. Um, So yeah, it just it just becomes it just became what worked in the beginning ended up being the the worst thing about it as far as I was concerned um, at the end. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And I, I think you made the right decision. I think even what you were saying as well about, you know, you having to write something, you've talked about a lot of stuff. So someone mm-hmm. like me, if I was starting a newsletter, I am quite fresh, right? You've been writing for years. You've said a lot of stuff and a lot of it's ahead of its time as well. Not to blow smoke up your butt too much, but you've written a lot of Ooh. stuff that's ahead of its time. And yeah. uh, you've, you've kind of been there, done that and written about it. You know, it, there's got to be a point where you say, okay, enough is enough. And I think it's cool that you're comfortable with letting go of something like this. A lot of people wouldn't be able to do it. Yeah, they would accept the discomfort and the stress and, and whatever, all the negatives that come with it. Yeah. And I also think that people have commented so far saying, well, it's good that you're in a, in a position where you can do that. Yeah, for sure. And my counter to that is I, maybe, sure. I don't, I don't know. I only know what I know. And I only know the experience that I've had, but there are so many other businesses that have generated revenue without somebody having a personal brand attached. There are so many businesses that existed before there were things like social media and newsletters. So yeah, I mean, it's, it is, I am in a position where I can turn it off and it is going to hurt, but it's not going to hurt a ton to me. But also that's just one way to build a business, right? Like you can build a business without doing things this way and then turning them off. You can build a business without ever having started that in the first place and that's very true i suppose this would be people who are in the early days of building a personal brand and that's their preference for building a business right yeah and they're saying oh it's lucky you can or it's good that you can do that because you know you're right you don't need to go that route yeah it's it's one way to do it it's not the only way to do it yeah no that's very true i think overall it's a good it's a good thing and people can still find you at use fathom so any stalkers <laughs> just drop me an email i'll give you paul's full address mobile number exactly else and <laughs> phone number that's <laughs> a joke Social by the security way. Number. hey so uh, listeners paul has dropped the words lonely nerd twice already <laughs> and uh, we're going to segue into c- uh, company tone uh, professionalism brand word choice and that kind of thing yeah so we published an article a few weeks back about when our business was attacked the attacker i referred to them as a lonely nerd right and it was it was in part anger it was emotionally driven article it was almost like a journal piece in a way if you think about it it was like a journal piece and i had one person on reddit say that i was i was wrong for using the word lonely nerd and and you know he got downvoted and someone and this was actually on a nerdy reddit which was even funnier so these are <laughs> these are plenty of nerds here no one's getting offended it's like the neckbeard subreddit or yeah, something yeah it was there was aws <laughs> subreddit but um 
it's going to say neck mid. But yeah, so the point is they, there was nerds and, and they weren't offended. And they just said, oh, I can't believe he called a person that tried to destroy his business a lonely nerd. God forbid. And they just pointed out how stupid it was. And then I had someone else tweet at us about me using it. And he's, and he's saying, and I'm not, I'm not having a go at this guy. I'm just going to talk through my logic here. Okay, mm-hmm. so if you're listening, person that tweeted me, um, I'm not trying to have a go at you. I'm just going to talk through my logic <clears throat> with regards to how I handle things like this and how we as a company position ourselves. So he said he was going to use, uh, sorry, yeah, they said they was going to use Fathom and he was going to, uh, if but he was going to use us, but because I used the words lonely nerd, that he wasn't going to use us anymore. And, uh, I read that and if someone says something like this and I've upset someone, I think to myself, okay, number one, is this a reasonable person? And what I'll do is I'll go through and I'll check, has this person been angry at multiple people in the space of a month? So if someone's been really angry and, you know, just moaning and being quite negative for a month, I will never, ever engage. And the reason I don't do that is because this is a person who likes to argue on the internet. And I just, I'm not going to do that. If this is a reasonable person who isn't angry at everything, I'm going to engage with them. And we're going to have a conversation and perhaps I'll apologize. And I, and I would apologize. I'd say, you know, sorry that that upset you. Obviously, I'm not going to change it because, I mean, I don't believe that's offensive. I think that if someone, if someone wants to be upset about me using the words lonely nerd, that's their prerogative. You could have said worse. It, it's not hate This speech. person it's, cost us so much money. Well, it isn't, it's not racist. It's not anything. And I yeah. just, there's nothing there that's really um, outrageous. But I still, you know, I'd still apologize if they were reasonable. And I'd say, you know, I'm sorry that, that offended you. Uh, I've thought about removing it, but I'm not going to. It was a, a journal-like piece. And, you know, the brand is, we're very clear about our branding. The brand is me and Paul. And the words we use have no bearing to our professionalism. So I didn't reply. And mm-hmm. I've been thinking about just the hate. Well, I mean, as we've grown, we do receive more hate. I mean, same with your newsletter, right? As you grow, yeah. you receive more hate because you're reaching a bigger audience. And I think you've just got to look at the hate and you've got to say, is this person looking for a constructive conversation or are they a person that is just angry about a lot of stuff? Because everyone has a different level of when they get angry about something. And I'm yeah. really just, my life, I can't live in a world where I'm engaging with people who are by default angry at stuff. You know, if I saw something that upset me, um, I, don't, I don't even know if I'd say anything. I think I'd quietly just not read anything from that person again. I don't know if I'd feel, an, and I'm not saying I'm doing it the right way with this, but I don't necessarily feel an obligation to share my personal reaction to something. I mean, if it well, was, if it was a, you know, like a Nazi post or something, you know, but again, yeah. I probably wouldn't word it. I'd probably just report it. And, but I suppose everyone's got their own thing. I don't know what the right way is, but I just won't engage with someone who seems like they're angry at a lot of things, you know? Well, you're on brand because the, when Fathom launched before you were even involved, the, the copy on the, spl- on the splash, the landing page for Fathom before we had launched had a comment, a cheeky comment about Mark Zuckerberg. Because the day that we launched Fathom was the day that Zuckerberg was testifying in front of Congress over privacy concerns. <laughs> so there was just like a cheeky thing. I don't know if you remember this because this is like a year before your time with Fathom. But there was like a cheeky comment. A bunch of people on Hacker News were like, oh, that, it's very unprofessional. Like you shouldn't say things like this on, on a company website. That's and strange, yeah. And I've had people like, oh, you said shit in a video. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to buy your course or I want a refund on your course. Yeah, yeah. 
And it's uh, it's like that's that's your prerogative. I'm not going to engage, but that's if if you want to if you are angered by something like that to the point where you want your money back on a product, then that's your prerogative person. And that's a big difference. If I've paid for something and there's, Mm -hmm. and say for example, I'm really against swear words, right? I've been brought up and, and you know, swearing is the worst thing in the world. If I bought a course and they swear, I could understand someone wanting their money back. But if someone's reading a post that, you know, it's our website. Yeah. You know, our values, I mean, we're, our values are to be ethical, to be fair and everything else, but this was effectively like a journal piece. Mm -hmm. Um, And it just, it always shocks me when people go after brands because this is, we are seeing more of this because we're getting, and this is, this is, uh, as DJ Khaled would say, suffering from success. As we're growing, we are seeing a more diverse reaction. Well, it'd be about 99% good, but we will see the, the 1% of bad will increase due to the volume of people we're reaching. Yeah. So it's just interesting when people will, will at us on Twitter and they'll, they'll say something. And I often will reply on my personal account and I, I want to be clear, this is Paul and Jack. Yes, it's our brand, but this is two. This isn't. We're not running this company to make shareholders millions of dollars. It's two people. You know, we're yeah, not looking. There are to human up- beings on the other side of the keyboard. <laughs> we're not looking to upset people. When I lonely nerd was against the attack, I'm not looking to offend you. But uh, at the same time, unless like, you are the lonely nerd, then yes, yes, for sure. <laughs> at the same time, I mean, you gotta. I gotta be careful with that because if someone's, if someone wants to make clear that they're, if someone's offended someone, they might think that you want to know that you've offended someone and various other things. And, you know, it's, I get why some people will, will vocalize it. But like I say, if someone's doing it all the time and they're, they're quite upset about a lot of things, then I just won't engage. That's just a rule. It may not be right, but that's how I operate. I also think that our, how we present the business and how we present the tone of the business is that we're just honest. Like we talk the way that we talk. It's not some flowery corporate language that goes through like a legal committee. It's just... Yeah how how myself and how Jack feel about situations. And it can be, a lot, like, there's even swearing on this podcast. Yeah. And it's just how we feel. And that's, and I kind of took this rule with my, with my newsletter, not to bring it back to that, because we've closed that chapter of this episode. But I would always, the, the way that I approached swearing, and I got um, shit on for swearing all the time on my yeah. newsletter, was that I would swear to express how I felt about a situation. I wouldn't swear at a person. So I would never call somebody a fucker, but I would say like, fuck, this makes me angry. Yeah, kind of for thing. sure. Yeah, big difference. And that feel to me, that feels professional <laughs> in like a weird, twisted way. That feels like, um, like, 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 a, like a professional tone. And I think a company, um, a, 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 the tone of a, of a company doesn't have to be the same. It doesn't have to be homogenous across all companies. Like you can have a, a, a company that is, like more quirky and fun than another that's more um blunt and to the point than another and i think that's what if somebody's going to be offended by that then that's their right to be offended absolutely um and and if they're a reasonable person that's something that we'll take to heart and think about and say like okay is this uh, is this really what we meant and is this really something that 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 uh, that a reasonable person would be offended by and try to learn from it obviously but if it's not then I'm okay sticking to our guns. If that means that one person isn't the right fit for our business, then so be it. That's a very good point, actually. No, and you're right. We do still listen. I didn't read, I didn't ignore his tweet in this mm-hmm. example. 
You yeah, know, we I, talked I, about I, it. We even. talked about it and said, you know, is this really bad? And the answer was no. I mean, I guess I'm just talking about whether I'll engage and trying to. And it's just what you mm-hmm. said about defending is a huge time sink. Defending yourself, it is, and it's hard. I mean, with regards to professionalism with the business, and I agree. You know, using swear words for different reasons, you know, it's very different. But professionalism to me is the hundreds of hours we spend testing things. So mm-hmm. the the you know availability, the redundancy, the backups, everything else, taking the data incredibly seriously and all of this stuff, all the policies we put in place that people don't even know about to make sure that our data is secure and various things and um, internal policies, there are higher example, high available, people know about this, I suppose, but high availability, backups, every X, you know, all this stuff. To mm-hmm. me, that is professionalism, people taking <clears throat> the product seriously. Yeah, it's I mean, the hundreds of hours a week we spend on customer support. And also. cat drawings. Yeah, and cat drawings, also <laughs> professional. <laughs> my wife, my wife. whenever you're working on something technical, and uh, you know this, but the listeners don't, whenever you're working on something really technical and she comes into my home office and sees me drawing, she's like, Jack is writing code and you're drawing cats? <laughs> like, really? Uh, cats mean yeah. prizes, though. People yeah, love the cats. A cat, yeah, I mean, that, that's part of the brand. So, And now they, now they all have names, as people will see on the, the branding article. Yeah. So uh, listen, so if you're the person that tweeted me and you're listening, uh, I'm not having a go at you, I, I promise. Um, I'm just talking about that we, we did consider it and I, I'm I'm sorry that I won't engage, but I'm just not going to. And uh, mm-hmm. thank you for, th- thank you regardless for voicing your concern. So I do think people need to voice their concern and various yeah. other things. So yeah. yeah, so I love this podcast, man, because this podcast allows us to be ourselves and people can listen to this, learn about us. And they can listen to me right now speaking and they can say, I don't like that guy. And they can listen to you talking about your newsletter and say, I don't like that Paul Jarvis. And they can choose. There's no fake, as you say, corporate layer that is just manipulated to make you feel a certain way. This is us and this is it. And you don't like us, that's great. You do like us, fantastic. We'll give you the best analytics you can possibly get. That's how I see it. Yeah, and there's a a healthy market. where you you're able to choose when there was just google analytics it wasn't healthy it was a monopoly (laughs) so values are very important in a business how we how we approach customers how we treat customers the language used is actually irrelevant if you think about it you think about how we took our customers we respect every single customer never will never ever be rude Um, the customers aren't rude to us we won't have customers that are rude to us uh, and that's that's one of our big principles too. But we will go above and beyond. If you listening, you're a Fathom customer, if you have a problem, we will go above and beyond to make sure we solve that problem and we'll be as fair as possible. Mm-hmm. And that's that's a huge value we have. So <coughs> I, I like I like running a business that is focused more on values than on what words we use. I think that's really important. Yeah, I mean, that's why, that's why we work for ourselves. That's why we work together. So we don't have to have, there isn't like a, a legal team listening to this podcast first and being like, oh no, you, you can't say that. Yeah. You can't say that on the air. Until, until we get sued for the first time. Right? <laughs> <laughs> oh. I joke, you never know. Yeah. Hey, so, that's uh, what insurance is for. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so let's talk, about, uh, let's talk about Slack. And you brought up a really interesting question is, you know, can these big companies exist without having to look for an acquisition? And that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, so the, the thing I guess with Slack is that they existed for so long unencumbered by other companies building a real Slack killer, right? But then as soon as Microsoft built Teams, it was like, well, well all of these big corporations, the ones that are paying Slack to use it, not like us who 
who just have free accounts on Slack, the the indie developers. We don't even really use Slack for Fathom anyways. I guess I use it for my courses. That's about it. We've never used Slack um, for Fathom. Yeah. No. But I think that as soon as a, a big company like Microsoft built uh, a similar tool, and Microsoft is already integrated with everything. Yeah. And Microsoft is already like an approved vendor in enterprise that it became, yeah, I mean, I, I understand, like I fully understand why Slack sold and I understand why they cashed out um, and did what they did because Salesforce is huge as well. Yeah. Right. So it's just like, okay, well, if you want to compete with, with Goliath then side with another Goliath. <laughs> Is that the only option they had? I don't know. Like, I mean, I think because they went down the route of taking a lot of investment and and growing huge quickly, I think that's the only route that they themselves had in the way that Stuart built the business, which, no, I'm not even slagging him off, as you would say. I'm just, this is, that's just the, there are many ways to build a business, as we've explained. The way that they decided to build the business, it seems like they might not have had another option, which is why I said I think it was a smart move of theirs. If they had built the business a different way or if they had been going like the company of one way or the Fathom way or however the hell you want to call it, it might have been different. Like we don't need as as a business that's run the way that you and I run the business, we don't we can exist in a market with the biggest tech company in the world and it doesn't it's fine. Like we're still profitable because we don't have a ton of investment. We don't have to grow super fast. We don't have to hit these insane numbers. Um, in revenue and growth every month to be profitable and to pay ourselves um, salaries, right? So I think it depends on how it's kind of set up at the onset, but I do think that it it would be hard for them to pick another path. That's a great point. So you're talking about how the company's set up and how that can affect your decisions. So let's talk about Slack. Slack was a publicly traded company. Publicly traded companies, their number one priority and duty is to the what? Shareholder. The shareholder. So let's talk about publicly traded companies. So as Paul just said, your number one duty is to the shareholder. Shareholders can actually sue you if they think that you've made a decision that is bad for the company or negligent in some way. People often talk about Amazon and, and you know, we'll think, why doesn't Amazon pay their warehouse workers more? They can afford to. This is ridiculous. Well, guess what? If they were to do that, it reduces the profit that the shareholders get. So they have under capitalism, they have, and I'm not anti-capitalist, let me, let me uh, put that out there, but under capitalism, and this is where I think it fails, their number one duty is to the shareholders and their number one duty is to maximize profits. Eth- ethics, isn't, they don't, <laughs> ethics isn't the number yeah. one priority. So when you get to these publicly traded companies, that's why people get more nervous with big tech. So if we look at a company, let's not even talk about us, let's talk about Basecamp. Basecamp exists in a hugely competitive space. And it's and who is it? And ironically, Jeff Bezos, Jeff Bezos, invested in Basecamp super early on, and I think that they actually regret selling him a share, if I recall correctly. Do they not? But they so he didn't he and I don't remember how it's structured, so it's hard to talk about it. But he gave them personally money to run the business. He invested in them personally to yep. make the business run. He bought so, shares in Basecamp. Yeah, a tiny amount. Yeah, so he has no control, and they're still a private company. So what David and Jason feel is the right direction for their business, they'll go. They haven't got to worry about, because they're, a publicly traded, they're not a publicly traded company, they haven't got to worry about shareholders. And they can actually choose to do the ethically right thing. And you know, not everyone wants to run an ethical business. And that's, you know, that's their prerogative. 
But if you actually care about running a business that's fair to your employer, for example, imagine that you got handed the reins of Amazon right now, okay? It's a private company. It's making great money, so I hear. You can choose to take more money for yourself or for your family, whatever, um, or you can choose to give the, your warehouse employees more money and just a better life. What would you choose? Yeah, I mean, I'd spread the wealth. And that's more. exactly yeah. it. And it. And it sounds like the obvious thing to say, but when you have profit as your number one draw, and businesses need profit. No one's saying that businesses don't need profit for anyone that's thinking that. Mm-hmm. But it's not the only thing that should drive how you do your business. And honestly, that's where capitalism is fucked up. That's where it falls over when you become so obsessed with the profit that you're willing to compromise on the way you treat your staff. I mean, it's gross, man. It's so gross, just so people can make a bit of money from it. Well, and, uh, yeah. this is this is why more companies are starting to think about more than one bottom line. Like like in the examples that you're giving here, with profit um, and maximizing shareholder value is the only bottom line. But there are things that have come about, like triple bottom lines where it's profit but also planet and also people. So social, environmental, and financial. But it's hard to do that um, in a publicly traded company. And I think that's why you see a lot of businesses who are focusing on sustainability of more than just one um, aspect as private companies, right? And I think that that's that's the beauty of having a business where you have the control over it. Where we can say, like, look, we are going to donate 2% of our gross revenue to environmental charities through Stripe and through um, an extra 1% to uh, Rainforest Trust. And we can make that decision because it's just what you and I believe in. It's just how you and I think. There's no shareholders to to argue it to. Yeah. (laughs) I brought it up. You were like, yeah, this is a good idea. And then we went with it. And then with Stripe, you brought it up. And I was like, yeah, this is a great idea. And then we ran with it. Yeah. And, and I mean, capitalism motivates profit, you know, return on investment and that kind of thing. And like, I, you know, I'd like to be super clear here. I'm not anti-capitalism, but as we've discussed on the podcast before, when capitalism gets to this level of control and it becomes borderline communism, because I don't like communism. Mm-hmm. So when we get to this borderline communism state where the, these big companies have so much power that, you know, someone, someone couldn't just start a company selling things and compete with Amazon really easily. No. Um, it, it, and, and then they couldn't hire the people in the warehouse that are not happy with their jobs. So, like, it's hard. It is hard. And I do, you know, we use Amazon Web Services, and it's something I think about all the time, and I think about uh, these bigger companies. And I often, you know, I think, well, I'm in a country that I don't necessarily agree with everything and you know, advice, uh, things like that. But I think it's important to push for change when people's lives are actually being impacted in negative way. I mean, you, you read the stories in the, those warehouses. It's just, it's disgusting. Yeah. yeah it's especially cool. with COVID it's, and that's the thing, right? Like we can have, we can have one episode going on and on about how much we love AWS and shield and that we can have another episode where we're saying that there are things that obviously and very definitely need to change in Amazon. And it's not, they're not our business daddy. <laughs> we, <laughs> we can talk back <laughs> yeah. if we, we want. Sh- and we should, right? We should. Yeah. This is, People need to be pushing for this stuff and, and we'll continue to to bring this to, to light. And these are things that actually, Matt, I mean, yeah, calling someone a lonely nerd, so calling someone who attacked our business a lonely nerd versus um, vocalizing the need for Amazon to actually treat its workers better. Big, big difference because, you know, yeah. it's people's lives that are actually truly objectively impacted. This isn't subjective that these workers are in not the best conditions. I've got to be careful what I say. I don't want to say anything libelous. Um, but from what I've read, uh, multiple times the conditions could be better 
that's mm-hmm. just that sounds that's balanced right that's not libelous yeah, no. that's that's true I, I agree with that as well can that we get they, lawyer, lawyer approval of that <laughs> exactly our, our legal team if, if this has made it on the air then our legal team has approved it <laughs> oh my goodness hey so let's uh let's wrap this up i'll give a quick update on fathom uh, sure. we have tons of good stuff paul's actually uh, just shared with me yesterday some <laughs> some parts of a secret project that i've said publicly that it's coming with or after v3 i mean i don't want to go live with v3 until we've got the secret project built Fair do enough. you agree um I-, I could be persuaded in that direction okay <laughs> yeah. so yeah fair enough so Paul presented some design elements for a secret project of version three, which we're not going to talk about yet. We're currently moving to Elasticsearch, which is fantastic. Everyone's dashboard's going to be faster. Um, we get a reduction in costs in one area as we look to spend in another area. Again, we can't talk about a secret project. And uh, things are going very good, basically. And that's all you're going to get for now. Yeah, there's lots of behind the scenes stuff. And this is, you and I talked about this last night, actually, that we spend, we don't just launch new features. We consider how things are currently running and how things could be running better um, for us as a business, for um, our customers, for everything else. So we're always looking to make things better, not just things that are new that are coming, but things that already exist. We're not happy until they're running uh, as good as they could be. And I think that that does, like, honestly, it slows us down as far as here's a shiny new feature for everybody to use. But Mm -hmm. I do think in the long term that it will benefit us more than just here's another feature, here's another feature. Like, we spend so much time thinking about how a feature impacts everything else, how a feature could be as good as it possibly could be for a customer, how existing things could be better, how behind the scenes things like speed and getting things down as far as milliseconds for loading um, <laughs> yeah. to be even faster. Like we consider all of these things and we work at all of these things. And I think that's why I'm so proud of um, what, what we've got so far and what's coming up in the future. And once we're done with this Elasticsearch migration, our privacy officer Ree is currently eager to get stuck into some huge changes to our to our systems and our, our website. So, if you're in the EU, especially I mean, if you're anywhere in the world, right? But especially the EU, keep an eye out for some of the stuff that we've got coming because it's going to be huge. And on that note, this has been Above Board. I've been Paul Jarvis, and I've been Jack Ellis. Thank you for listening. We love you all. 